Hello and welcome to Habemus Papam, episode 197, Innocent the Sixth. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. So today's Pope has a remarkably similar background to his predecessor, Clement VI. He was born to a family of minor nobility in the same part of central France as Pope Clement. His birth name was Etienne Aubert, and he spent his youth studying canon law at the University of Toulouse. And after his study was complete in 1329, he entered the servants of the King of France as a judge. He was appointed in 1335. He was chosen to be an ambassador on behalf of the king to the court at Avignon and Pope Benedict XII. In January of 1338, he was named the Bishop of Noyon, and then two years later, the Archbishop of Clermont. When Clement VI was elected Pope, he appointed the Archbishop uh, Etienne Aubert, the Cardinal Priest of San Giovanni e Paolo, in 1342, and he called him to Avignon to serve in the papal court full-time. So during this time, he was charged with helping to bring peace between France and England, who were in the middle of the Hundred Years' War. And though he did bring a truce about at one point, his mission was not successful on the whole. He was then made the Cardinal Bishop of Ostia in 1352, and he served in the papal justice system. When Clement VI died, the 25 cardinals assembled at the papal palace to elect a new pope. And at first, there was thought that they should pick a holy man to be the new pope, and the cardinals discussed choosing the prior of the Grand Chartreuse, which is the head of the Carthusian order, who was a man named Jean Birel. But one of the cardinals stepped in and said, another Celestine V is not what we need right now. Just because someone is holy doesn't mean they can govern. And then, before they picked their actual choice, the cardinals got together and decided to make an agreement. Some were concerned about how centralized power had become, especially since the pontificate of John XXII. So they agreed as a college that the number of cardinals should be limited to 20 and should be chosen by a two-thirds majority of the surviving cardinals, not by the Pope directly. Likewise, they would serve as a sort of legislative body, approving the actions of the Pope by a vote. The cardinals signed, though some of them said they agreed insofar as the agreement was in accord with church law, and then they voted on the new pope. They picked Cardinal Albert, who by this point was fairly old and infirm, and who they thought would just go along with their agreement and be easily controlled. So Cardinal Albert was elected on December 18, 1352, and he took the name Innocent VI. And the first thing that he did was repudiate the agreement that the cardinals had made, and which he himself had signed. He said the whole thing was null and void because they were contrary to canon law. Pope Innocent was really his own man. He wasn't going to follow what the cardinals told them to do, and instead he followed the reforming tradition of Benedict XII. All the people who had filled Avignon looking for jobs and titles left or were forced out by the new pope. You have to remember that at this time, the practice of certain members of the church was to hold multiple titles, and that was pretty common. So a young noble cleric might be given several positions, what we would call benefices, and never actually fulfill any of them, or even spend any time at the parish or the canonry that he was supposed to be running or a part of. Rather, he would just collect the income from that parish or deanery or even diocese, and then live at the papal court or some other place of power. Pope Innocent revoked several of these multiple benefice grants and required that any new benefices would only be given to those who actually reside in the parish they were in charge of. He was also attentive to the education of clerics. He saw how little educated a parish priest or a monk was and how that was such a scandal at the time. And so he set up a college for poor clerics in Toulouse and started a faculty of theology in Bologna. Now the main storyline with Pope Innocent we have to pursue is to talk more about Italy. 
because over the next several episodes, the relationship between the papacy and the Italians is going to be more and more of importance. The popes have been in Avignon for decades by this point, and the first Avignon pope moved to France in 1309, so now it's the 1350s. And with the pope gone from Rome, the city is decaying like crazy. There was a lot less revenue brought in by people seeking the papal court and fewer pilgrims, and the Holy See had been finding it harder and harder to govern the papal states from afar, and most of the cardinals were French and unable to do a good job governing as foreigners. Unless something was done soon, the Pope would most likely lose control of the Papal States and lose the ability to return to Rome as local and Italian nobles competed for supremacy. Pope Innocent sent Cardinal Gilles Abornos, a Spanish prelate, who the Pope knew from his time as a student, to the Papal States with the authority and the forces to try and reestablish Papal governance. Cardinal Albernoz won a series of military victories against the rebellious Italian lords, and he signed a treaty in which the residents of the Papal States once again recognized papal authority on the 5th of June, 1354. Now, one of the people he was fighting against was a friend from last episode, uh, Cola di Rienzo. Pope Innocent had released him, and Rienzo tried to return to Rome, and he was not able to enter, so he decided to try and convince the Holy Roman Emperor to come and take Rome himself. Disguised as a Franciscan, he traveled to Prague and then met with Charles IV, who promptly put him in jail and then handed him over to Cardinal Albernoz. Cardinal Albernoz at first allowed him to return to Rome, which he actually captured. But then he quickly squandered his, his, his goals by acting like a tyrant. The Roman people revolted in October of 1354, and Di Rienzo was, tried to escape again in disguise, but he was recognized and then he was killed on the spot. And with his death, peace was the name of the game. A, a competent group of aristocrats decided to govern Rome, and Cardinal Albernoz helped to maintain order. And with that out of the way, it was looking like the Pope might be able to return to Rome, because one of the things that the Popes had always used as an excuse for not returning to Rome was, well, the political situation is too bad, we're not able to get there. But Innocent, though willing, was too old in his own view for the trip. But another did make the trip. Pope Innocent had a better relationship with the Holy Roman Empire than his predecessor did. And in 1356, he permitted Charles IV of the House of Luxembourg to cross the Alps and be crowned Holy Roman Emperor in Rome, so long as he left the very next day. Now this he did, but as he was leaving, he signed what is known to history as the Golden Bull. The Golden Bull officially laid out the constitution of the Holy Roman Empire and how the emperor was elected, and interestingly enough, makes no reference whatsoever to the pope. Only the seven electors of Germany could choose the emperor, not, as the popes had asserted in the past, the papacy. Over the past hundred or so episodes, we have seen the rise and fall of papal prerogatives with regards to the empire. We saw the crowning of Charlemagne by the pope. We saw how Charlemagne was given permission, his family was given permission to take the empire. We saw how the papacy was, at the time, more dependent, though, upon imperial authority. Then we saw the rise of papal prestige the humiliation of Henry IV at Canossa by Gregory VII, the height of papal power over secular authority in Innocent III, and then the long decline as Frederick I, Henry VI, and Frederick II pulled away from papal authority, and the papacy was made subservient, eventually, to the King of France. But now that pretense of papal authority over the Holy Roman Emperor was completely discarded by Charles VI, not by firing shots at it rhetorically, but just by ignoring it. And pope Innocent VI didn't protest partially because of his conciliatory nature and partially because he needed the emperor's help in Italy and he didn't want to upset him. Now, the pope was opposed in Italy by a man we haven't met yet, but we'll get to know a lot in the future. His name was Bernabo Visconti, and he was the ruler of Milan. And he opposed the pope and took the papal city of Bologna away from the papacy. Bernabo was the nephew of Cardinal Giovanni Visconti, 
And he had initially gained the rule over Milan and Bologna from the papacy by buying it. His nephew, hoping for greater glory, will be a thorn in the side of the papacy and one of the hurdles that will need to be overcome in order for the Pope to return to Italy. Now, all these conflicts in Italy cost money, and money the papacy did not have. In 1358, Pope Innocent had to sell a lot of the jewels and silver owned by the papacy to help pay for them. Meanwhile, in France, the Hundred Years' War continued, and Innocent strived to bring peace between France and England. An initial truce was signed in 1357, and later a peace treaty was signed in 1360, but it was shaky at best. The results of the truces, however, were not all positive. Bands of soldiers who came back from the war looted the countryside and were threatening Avignon itself. A renegade priest named Arnaud led this group of bandits and threatened the city on again and off again for the next three years. The Pope appealed for mercenaries to help defend Avignon. They came to an agreement with the bandits in 1361, which unfortunately cost him an enormous amount of money, which again he didn't have. But the effect was to really do damage to the situation in the city. With crowds fleeing the neighboring countryside to avoid conflict and hiding within the city, the plague sprung up in the city itself, killing most of the Pope's advisors, including nine cardinals. In this milieu of decay, Pope Innocent himself began to go downhill. He was elderly when he was elected, and by now the years of care were catching up with him. He died on September 12, 1362. He was buried in the Carthusian charter house he had founded Notre-Dame-du-Val-de-Bendition, just outside the city of Avignon. The charter house was confiscated by the French government during the revolution, but his tomb is still present there. He was succeeded by Blessed Urban V, and we will talk about him next time. Thanks for listening to Abemus Papam. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Bites podcast at catholicbitespodcast.com or find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you, and God bless you.